The Collaborating Conversation podcast is for avid book readers, book lovers, and authors. Listen to this podcast as we talk more about the art of writing, stories behind books, and the hands that created them. So stay tuned and enjoy our show. Welcome to the Collaborating Conversations podcast. Today's episode is a deep dive into alien invasion and sci-fi. Got an interesting topic for today, uh, diving into different types of alien invasion sci-fi novels and shows and games. Um, I think this is one of those classic tropes where, you know, it's like thinking of first contact type of uh, situations where it goes bad. So that's an interesting question, right? How come in a lot of books in science fiction, when an alien invasion, it's typically an invasion or it's typically bad? Um, I can only think of one books out of the list we talked about, uh, which was the Death Worlders, where Earth is not the bad guys, but we're the overpowered, strongest, like everybody else is like weak because we grew up in a world where we are death. Like our world is bred to kill us versus like a lot of the other traditional alien invasions. They try to kill us. Now, it's not just because it's a good storytelling arc or do we find that uh, striving for survival and striving to push through to stay alive is kind of one of those inherent human traits that make for good storytelling. You know, it's an interesting one. I think I think it's human nature, right? Like we assume that like we did through human history, like when, when a superior force and you know, interacts with an inferior force, the superior force seeks to subjugate, take over, or destroy the inferior force. Um, they actually, they, they talk about this in, um, so the Skyward series by Brandon Sanderson, you know, one of the things that's revealed, I think it's in the second novel, is, is that humanity, uh, you know, almost conquered the galaxy twice. And so it's like, you know, everyone was afraid of humans. And it was very interesting because everyone viewed humans as like these you know, almost animalistic, like horrible, vengeful monsters. Uh, and, you know, that that couldn't help but be violent. And so all the aliens throughout the whole series, they just they're afraid of they're afraid of the aliens. They're afraid that or they're afraid of humans. They're afraid that humans are going to, uh, you know, if a human appears like their life is in jeopardy and dangerous. And so it's, it's an interesting play because it, it, it kind of points puts humans in a negative light. Uh, even though the story is told from the perspective of a human <laughs> as they encounter these different aliens who are afraid of them. Uh, afraid of the humans or are we are afraid of the aliens. So it's funny because we're, you know, the, the humans are, are, it's an interesting story. So like with Skyward, the first book, humanity lives in these uh, like subterranean tunnels and they're constantly attacked by these aliens that are just seeking to wipe them out. And, um, you know, and so at first it seems like the humans are in this terrible situation where they're just trying to survive. And it it later comes to light that, you know, the the attacks are actually by wardens that are just trying to keep the human population in control and whittle down their forces so that they don't they don't pose a threat to the proactive civilization. (laughs) And so they, you know, it's like a prison world. Uh, but that, that's not revealed until the second book. And, and so, you know, it's it's interesting because when when the humans actually get out, but but it's but it's interesting because um, you know, the the aliens think uh that uh you know humans are 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 terrible and they're afraid of them and, and they're you know they're they're afraid of the the humans, you know, getting out. Uh and and when the humans eventually do, they think, you know, they have to resort to extreme measures to wipe the humans out because they've they've escaped from their cage essentially. So it's just an interesting play on that whole narrative of uh, alien invasion, because what, you know, 
what, what, what first starts out like an alien invasion book ends up turning around to be like, you know, the galaxy was invaded by humans and now the galaxy is just trying to keep the humans contained so they don't wipe them out. <laughs> and so it's an interesting play on that whole concept. Oh, that is actually, that's pretty interesting. So that's actually what happens in Death Worldlers as well. Within the first chapters, um, somebody breaks the air quotes covenant rules or whatever the rules are for the, I don't know the right terminology, but the world you know, the galactic organization yeah. um, where they put a bubble on earth and they try to contain the entire earth in this bubble because earth is basically a death world. So essentially everything on earth, you know, air quotes evolved to, so everything on earth evolved, you know, in the book to basically kill humans. So that's why our world is considered like a 12 where no life should be on the world, but humans are so resilient and so whatnot, um, we're stronger. So the guns that they have in the rest of the universe basically kill everybody else. Like they like obliterate their chest and basically like jellify them and they barely knock us out <laughs> so like everyone's terrified and like it messes with the balance of the galaxy so some rogue group tries to put earth in a bubble but some other rogue group gives us a wormhole and we can get out yeah, um, they, they, they play around that concept with um star trek the the new one discovery where that one alien is a uh, his species was actually the prey on the planet and so they <laughs> the they were um a prey species and so they 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 had evolved essentially in the in the story to become you know to, to try to survive and um you know they were they were known as like a fearful species that you know thought everything was out to eat them most of them play on like fear of the unknown right because the whole thing with aliens is that we don't know who they are but yeah yeah i think that's interesting that's kind of the premise of like the uh, independence day movies right it's like this overpowering overpowering alien force shows up they're ominous and then they just start destroying the world um you know and it's not revealed until a later uh movie that they came out with that uh you know the aliens were trying to harvest the uh core of the earth or whatever and so like their first step was wiping out all life and then harvesting the planet but you know it's like they they show up and they're like this this species that you don't know anything about uh, you know, they don't interact with humans and their first interaction is just to destroy everything. But I think that, you know, that also plays on, you know, how we think about other humans, right? It's like, you know, the moment you think about, you know, the moment you get to know someone, it's harder to, to kill them, right? You know, you can't demonize them as much when you actually get to get to know them as another living, breathing being. And so, you know, it, it, it's an interesting concept, I think, in general, where it's like, you know, it has to be this unknowing force that doesn't interact in order to justify, you know, wiping out. Right. But to, to what Max was saying, right, it's it's the unknown. Um, in, in a lot of these books, humans kind of do the same thing because they I don't know. So here's a here's a, you know, anecdotal survey question is do in most science fiction, do the humans automatically think the aliens are out to get them? Or is there evidence that the aliens are out to get them, right? So on Independence Day, there's no notice of that until they shoot the laser, right? Until they start attacking. In other science fiction and other stuff like Halo, it's more they, they do um, attack first. But is there any sense of humans attacking first or because we're not sure? I'm, I'm kind of thinking Skippies, right? In, or in the Expeditionary Force. We kind of attack first, but we also, no, we get attacked and then we're forced to attack someone else. But we yeah, really don't know what's going on. on. Columbus Day. Right. And that starts the war. Gotta love the hamsters. <laughs> yeah. 
but I think even then, like when you learn more about more about the premise, like they attacked humanity first because they thought I forget it, it came out later in the book, like they thought humanity um, was already working in league with the enemy or would, had the opportunity to work in league with the enemy or something like that. So that's why they attacked humanity first. I forget. No, it was going to it was going to be that the humanity, the hamsters attacked first. So um, so that they could disable their power functions so that they would not be um, a good target for the lizards. That's right. Um, It was a preemptive strike so that no one would target us or no one would no one would want to be our enemy or no one would want to do anything. Yeah, kind of neutralized before they became a threat that could be used by the enemy, which ends up happening anyway. (laughs) So interesting thing, at least for the most part, as far as I can recall, um, the focus is usually put, and I would say I probably watch more like movies, shows than read books about aliens. But the focus, or at least there's a major emphasis on the perspective of the humans and versus the perspective of the of the aliens right um do you think that plays a role in how i guess the emotional reaction um that comes as a result of like going through the content yeah i'm trying to think um so like in 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 the sci-fi told from the perspective of the aliens right so the major plot like the template from what i can tell right so Alien comes, uh, humans are, you know, scared or they're a bit wary. And uh, while they may not necessarily like attack or, you know, whatever, it's, it's one of those things where the aliens are walking on eggshells, whether they realize it or not. Then at the first sign, I mean, if they would make a wrong move, then the humans react and then it becomes this whole thing until... At the end, uh, they find out, oh, well, there was a misunderstanding or blah, blah, blah. Or um, the aliens end up going back or the aliens end up subduing the humans. Uh, I mean, everything is possible from that point. But just from arrival until conflict, um, the focus is usually on how the humans see things. And there's never any sort of like preview on why the human—I mean, the aliens—came in the first place. Actually, um, there there is there is one book that comes to mind: uh, the Three Body Problem um, okay. by Sixten Liu. It's a, a Chinese novel that's been translated. Um, really good sci-fi book. I've I've only read the first one, but there's a whole series. And the whole premise of the book—the whole premise of the first book—is there's this video game. Um, uh, and it's based off of the premise of this trying to solve the three body problem. And just for some background, so the three body problem is, um, if you have three solar masses in a solar system, how do you, how does the, like, how do you survive, um, as a planet in those, um, uh, in that environment? Because essentially like depending on the the um the orbiting of the three suns at some point you know like when all three suns are close to the planet because of the the type of orbit uh the plant the, the suns will combine wipe out um all life on the planet um so here here's the actual physics so in physics and class mechanics the three body problem is the problem of taking the initial 
initial positions and velocities or momentum of three point masses and solving for their subsequent motion according to Newton's law of motion and Newton's law of universal gravitation. So in the three body problem uh, book, the those three masses are three suns. And so like, you know, with those three suns rotating around each other and a planet rotating around those three suns, you know, how does, you know, how does a species that's evolved to exist in that environment survive? Right. Um, and the like and then the whole the whole um, the whole premise of the book, the first book is like they're in this game and they're trying, you know, and they have the species and they're trying to solve this game trying to beat this game and uh it really is just uh showing the people who are who are playing the game the life of this alien species uh that's learned to evolve to adapt in this environment and it's a horrible hostile environment where essentially like the aliens you know can like uh um reduce their their uh drain all the moisture out of their body and become like uh like these um, hibernating creatures that can be stored in like, you know, underground shelters deep in the earth, you know, that can wake up, you know, in, in like a couple hundred years, once the planet has recovered from like, you know, being close to multiple suns or something like that. And, and it's, and, and, and throughout the whole book, like you're just trying to figure out, you know, you know, uh, why it's like showing you this, this video of the species. And then it comes to light that, you know, the big reveal is that there, there is an alien species that has survived in this environment and they've discovered earth and they've discovered that earth does not exist in the horrible hostile environment that they exist in. And therefore they're going to conquer earth and relocate their species to earth. And so, you know, but like they're this hyper advanced species and basically they it's actually crazy. They lock down humanity's ability to progress in physics. And so because humanity can't progress past a certain level in like physics understanding, they can never the, the book one ends off with like humanity not being able to prepare to progress to the level that they can actually defend against the aliens who are on just a whole other level and like their understanding of the universe and physics. So, and so it's just like this mind blowing, like, Oh man, so, it's truly doomed. <laughs> so tangent, do you, rem- does anyone remember a Stargate SG one episode with a similar premise? Um, essentially they didn't block them or stop their level or like block their physics or knowledge. They actually gave everybody everything freely and we accepted it, but what it, we didn't know it was doing was making everyone sterile so that the Earth population was slowly declining over like a three decade period. Uh, does anyone remember that episode or know what I'm talking about? Um, I remember that one. Yeah, it was one of, I think, the later ones that kind of really stuck out to me because um, uh, Samantha Carter had to go back in time through a Stargate with a solar flare in order to stop the species because they came in thinking oh we're benevolent we're just going to give you all our technology right but in reality the technology is what was uh causing us to become sterile or non-productive or i forget exactly how the story was told but essentially it was causing us to no longer procreate and no longer be a threat which is a very interesting way to attack a species versus like the book you were mentioning where they just stop our knowledge they stop our way of understanding versus another way to stop is to slowly 
you know, mess with society. And the, the sad thing is we're actually seeing that today where like China's birth rates are declined because they did the one the one child policy and all this other stuff. And then as even though we like to think of, um, um, oh, I can't remember the movie. What is it called? The movie oh, Idiocracy. But it's actually true where uh, smarter people have less kids um, because they know how much responsibility and how much work it takes. And so in a lot of the more you become a uh, higher end country, the less kids you actually have. So it's kind of this weird, interesting, like, are we doing this to ourselves type of thing? Or, you know, instead of this case, like you were talking about, like, they're just like, nope, you can't have anything past this. <laughs> You're done. Yeah, that's interesting. I was just reading the uh, the episode synopsis. I don't remember this episode, but that's... That's crazy. Yeah. Like that's like long-term invasion. I feel like that's a premise um, that I've seen in other movies or books where it's like a long-term, like a long-term invasion where like they're originally seen as like a, like a savior or, you know, like a, you know, solving all of humanity's problems. And then eventually like humanity just ceases to exist or like the, the plan is revealed that, you know, they're just, they're actually, they've taken over everything. Um, I know, uh, what was it? Earth Final Conflict. You remember that show? It was a long time ago. The, um, the Talons, I think is what they were called. Uh, um, but that was, um, I think that was, um, how their species, um, uh, conquered. And so they, they, they came to earth, um, and they were, they were viewed as like saviors, you know, they, they, um, yeah, it was back in 1997. That's when their final conflict came out. Uh, it was an old sci-fi series. And like they, you know, they essentially came to Earth and, you know, uh, they, they had established relationships with um, the, you know, Earth and all the major governments and, you know, had like these big motherships that were like in orbit around the planet, you know, these... Uh, uh, but the, it later came, comes out through the series that they're actually just using humanity and that they've like slowly taken over control. And then like, they're able to see, you know, the history of the species and they discover that other species, you know, have be, you know, uh, have been taken over by the Talons and they've, you know, used them to like further their empire. And, uh, it's like this big shocking reveal, but yeah, it's, that's, that's an interesting premise where it's just like, you know under it's an alien invasion but under the disguise of like helping humanity well benevolence right because yeah looking for an exciting space adventure book a romantic young adult story and a fantastic sci-fi read get the fondra by award-winning author emmanuel m Ariaga today and prepare to feed your imagination with never-ending thrill ride Well, it's interesting because it plays against our psyche where we want to believe someone who's, um, we want to believe someone who is, you know, higher knowledge than us is going to want to help us. Right. But do we really know? But then half of, half of ourselves wants to say, oh yeah, they're totally going to help us. And the other half of us is like, nah, man, I don't trust them. <laughs> and it's very interesting how that creates very good and compelling stories. Well, I think it, it's a retelling of human history, right? Like, um, in many ways, like it, it's us retelling human history, because if you look, you know, like the whole the whole concept of colonization, right, where it's like you go to a, a you, you know, in, in, in days past, like, you know, you go to a, a quote unquote less advanced, uh, you know, uh, continent 
or place and then you you colonize them you know you you bring your culture to you know uh civilize them right well it's it's like the same premise except from aliens right like the aliens come but you know the the colonization is actually like they're just coming to exploit the resources of that new place you know in exchange for quote unquote you know um civilization right you know and then like aliens could in turn do that to us you know it's an interesting thought experiment right like imagine humanity as being the alien invader going to another you know another alien right like what would the result of that first contact look like like would it be uh, akin to human colonization on earth except species or you know would, would it be different i, w- I would say colonization is probably the closest thing probably could do to our just massive amount of fear but it also depends on right because the biggest problem so if we um the biggest problem for aliens is going to be communication, right? Because that's one of the things that science fiction does is where our communication is kind of hand-waved where they figure it out. One of the few that I like where they figure it out is um, Patrick Hail Mary, and I'm not going to spoil it, they have to go through a whole process to learn how to communicate. And I think that's going to be the key if, you know, if we ever outside of science fiction, you know, meet aliens or whatever, communication is going to be key, right? Because isn't that a lot of, a lot of sci-fi tropes are, oh, we miscommunicate with the aliens. We tried to say something, you know, um, benign and they took it as like, you know, your mother is a cockroach and <laughs> your mother is a cockroach and I fart in her general direction, you know, from they took it as an insult when we were, um, we're just trying to communicate. I think communication is the biggest problem because I'm remembering from Independence Day where they send the helicopter with lights and they shoot it down, right? I don't remember if there was a problem with lights, but that was our attempt to communicate. This, this was the premise of the movie Arrival. I don't know if either one of you has seen that movie. Uh, the name sounds I familiar. Don't believe I have. So the the whole premise of Arrival is that this oh yes super advanced alien species arrives in these big ships, and they they have this room in their ships where they like come and show symbols, and then eventually like humanity sends a linguist, and so the main the main character of the story is a linguist, and they you know the whole. For, you know, the whole premise of the movie is they're trying to figure out the language of the aliens and communicate with them um, because the aliens are trying to communicate with humanity. And so the linguist is uh, the, the linguist ends up just, uh, you know, slowly working out their language and then discovers, um, you know, like their language is like so advanced that it's actually allows like time travel and, and stuff like that when, when you fully understand their language um which is which is a, an interesting play on like the power of language right like we think about language and like what we're speaking now right with english but it's just like you know could our society eventually progress to a level where language itself has the power to speak things into existence right like from a from a level of you know understanding of the universe that does not currently exist today right like we we can actually use language itself to like you know manipulate thing right like it's the whole premise behind like magic right like you you know uh, you know in fantasy like you you understand you know there are certain words that manipulate magic or you know allow the, the the twisting of the universe like i know this happens in founder right with the words of power so like with the Inesmic 
with the anesmic flow, like I played around with the concept of like, you know, there are certain words of power that can be spoken to manipulate the anesmic flow in a way to, you know, cause it to do things, um, you know, to, to manipulate it in certain ways. Um, you know, not all manipulation of anesmic energy requires words of power, but words of power, you know, unlock more advanced capabilities. Well, and that's the, so that's the, that's the issue with language, right? So even in English, which is like the primary world language, we can't always communicate everything we're trying to communicate, right? Because in different languages, you sometimes have multiple words to say the same thing, or you have a male or female version of a word to say something, right? Um, and so it's so interesting. And then when you combine that with, you know, your magic or your fantasy elements, um, like Lord of the Rings, right? Oh, you say certain things to uh, put, the, like you said, the words of power and stuff. And it's it's so fascinating how, when, how we developed language, how we have such a variety of language. And then how do we use language to tell a story? Yeah, I mean, in a ways, language has power today, right? Like words you say can affect someone emotionally. Only if it's on Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. but, but I mean, but even in that, even in that sense, I'm sorry. Even in that sense, words have power, right? Like you, you saying a word can can bring someone low or bring someone high. So like we've mastered the ability of words to influence people's emotions. Right. And and we don't think about that often. Right. Where it's like our words, our words actually do have power, like the whole concept of sticks and stones or brick bones, but words will never hurt me is, is completely a lie. Right. Like, like right. <laughs> you know, and so it's like words, words do have power. <laughs> um, no, I know, think... in, in a sense, right. Like words have power, you know, in a world that, it's technologically advanced, right? Like even today, you know, you speak to your assistant, right? And it will do something or say something, or you can, you know, like I can right now turn off, you know, if my stove is on, I can tell my assistant to turn off the stove, right? And that's manipulating things in my environment, right? Like, mm -hmm. you know, unlocking doors, opening doors, opening blinds, turning things on and off, right? Like today, my voice has the ability to do that, you know? you know, what are things going to look like in the future where technology is so ingrained and so much more advanced and, and, and maybe, you know, words, you know, that that's the actual manifestation of words truly having power, right? Because you, you use words to manipulate the real environment through technology. And we eventually get to that point where, you know, words do actually have power to, to, to change the world around us in a well, way this that is, you can't even imagine. This is kind of a tangent, but um, this is where I definitely think like this is going to happen, right? So like I envision the future where um, I need something created and I'm like, hey, insert artificial intelligence or AGI name here. Uh, design me a rack mounted pen holder that zip ties to my metal rack over there in the corner. Uh, command, you know, and then it's like, oh, command accepted. Here you go. It'll be done in four hours. Yeah. Like, I think that's definitely going to happen. Like, I don't know why, but I think people aren't realizing, nope, that's definitely going to be the future. Might not happen right off the bat. I mean, look at, oh, look at, speaking of words and power, look at, um, have any of you played with Dolly too? I have. have any, that's I have. literally turning words into artwork, right? You're typing out something. Um, and you are turning the words in your mouth, your, you know, not in your mouth, but you're turning the words that you write into photos. Um, like that's an amazing, that's an amazing, like kind of, I don't want to say power, but it's an amazing de democ uh, democratization of artwork. Cause like, I'm never going to be able to draw half the stuff without putting in hours and hours and hours of work. And I can have an idea in my head and now, oh, it's, it's done. Right. Like, I don't have to worry about it anymore. Like, oh, the idea is out of my head. Sweet. Yeah.
I think it's, um, you know, kind of tying it back to alien invasions, right? Like, I think looking at, you know, another species that comes here, being able to manipulate the world around you um, or them being able to manipulate the world around them from spoken words, even if we don't understand those words, would appear like magic, right? Yeah. Um, it's inter- uh, I don't know if you um, played the game Horizon Zero Dawn or um, I'm in. Uh, I've only like ten, like a few hours in, so no spoilers. Well, the the technology that the, she uses in that game, the um, yeah, the agents. Uh, I forget what it's called. The um, the thing on her head. The yeah. um, um, but that device, um, you know, it allows it allows her to interact with you know the ancient technology, which is essentially just like AR. AR technology that exists in yeah. the world that allows for touch controls, right? But only yeah. when you have it's the focus. It's called the focus. So when you use the focus, right? Like yeah. it opens your whole world to this this whole world that's you know hidden behind the scenes and that you don't even realize. Um, and it's and it's a pretty cool like take on sci-fi because it's like that technology is not that far away from where we are today. Not at all. Um, but you know, the application of it is, is like life altering. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you think about that, you know, in, in terms of how the world, um, you know, how an alien might use technology, some of that to speak things or, or interact with things that we can't see, maybe matters, states of matter, or, you know, uh, uh, things that we don't perceive, right. Like, or, you know, alternate dimensions or things that, that are, you know, that exist in a space that we exist in, but that we can't interact with or comprehend. Right. You know, that world, um, you know, uh, would be terrifying, <laughs> right? you know, for, for like an alien that can come in and, 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 and do that because it would just be like, you know, for, for us, you know, um, and it talks to that whole premise, yeah. I think with the, with the alien invasion trope in general, where it's like, you know, any species that's advanced enough to travel across the stars and come to our planet, today is so far ahead of us technology technologically that it's unrealistic that we'd be able to put up any fight at all against them. Yeah. And I think that, that, that kind of, it gives like a false hope, like a lot of the alien invasion stories that are modern day. Right. <laughs> Cause it's just like, you know, if, if a super advanced alien species could arrive on our doorstep, there would be no hope for us. But like, you know, we, you know, that, that doesn't make for a good story because it would be humanity loss. Well, I think that's one of the things is, right, a lot of these stories that we read, humans weren't hopeful stories, right? Like, I remember reading um, the book Limitless, which the ending in the movie, and this is a spoiler for anyone who hasn't read the book, um, in the movie, in the book, he dies. And it's like, this is a terrible ending. Like, you're going to kill off the main character at the end of the, your book. Um, and it's just like, this sucks. Like I'm not, it's an unsatisfying ending. Whereas in the movie, in the movie Limitless, he survives and then he thrives and becomes like mayor or, and starts running for president. Right. So yeah, we need those like hopeful stories because reality is difficult enough. And half the time things don't work out the way we want, but then do these stories set us up for failure because we expect this hope to work, even though the stats are against us. Right. Totally off topic, but I was watching an episode of The Simpsons while I was playing a video game. And it was the first episode, I think, where they bet all their money on the dog because that was their last hope because he didn't get a Christmas bonus. He only had 13 bucks, and so he bet it all. And then even Bart was like, oh, yeah, this is going to be the Christmas miracle. We just got to wait for it. Instead, they lost everything and ended up getting a dog, right? And so it's like, why is why are the endings where 
we succeed out of against the odds so satisfying when that's not actually a good example of reality. Yeah. I think um it's like the whole it's all like it's the whole villain winning, right? Like the whole you know, like I've seen we we saw what happens when that happens in the real world, right? Like in when the Avenger, you know, Avengers Endgame, <laughs> right? And and that's exactly what I was thinking. Thanos wins, right? Like everyone was disheartened and broken. <laughs> that movie was over, right? Because they lost like Thanos won. Right. And so it's like, I feel like because in the world, generally people feel like the good things don't always happen. A lot of times when we, when we look at like entertainment, um, you know, if it's not the good guys winning or a happy ending, at least in the U S like we don't know how to handle it. I know in other countries, um, you know, they don't always have happy endings. Um, and, and it's, a, it's truly more of an American thing, which I didn't realize for like the whole premise of a happy ending, like the rest of the world, it's not always happy endings. Uh, and, and I think that, you know, cause they, they tend to be more realistic around like how the world works. Right. Um, but the American, you know, Americans love a good underdog story. Yeah. <laughs> like America was, you know, we're built on the underdog story or, you know, we love the underdog in the football game or yeah, I hadn't thought about that, but culturally like we are not designed, but we're built upon, you know, the underdog always overcoming the David and Goliath. Right. Yeah. Is there, is there any sci-fi series where humanity is just completely and utterly destroyed by an alien invasion? I can't think of anything right now, but it also depends on what do you mean by utterly destroyed? Like, I think there's a lot of them that start off that way, but it's to build up and overtake, right? Because the expedition force kind of starts with us getting our cans kicked, right? Like we have yeah. to leave a whole platoon on, on the, the hamster world that's getting evicted. Yeah. And so it kind of starts off that way, but it's not a complete destroyed. It's definitely a, we're kind of screwed. Yeah, I think but, the closest thing that comes to mind is Skyward, because in that instance, like humanity lost. Um, but even then, like humanity still exists. I'm one, you know, it would be an interesting story to write of, uh, you know, maybe I'll maybe I'll take this on one day of just, uh, <laughs> you know, having having a uh, a story that takes place from the perspective of the alien conquerors in the future as they're dealing with, you know, future things, but they've wiped out humanity and taken over earth. Right. <laughs> it sounds oh, like, could you, could you imagine being in charge of earth? Do you know how much of a headache that would be? <laughs> well, I'm like, if you wipe out humanity, like what's wrong? <laughs> you all know, but that would be the, that would make it a great story, right? Like there's pockets of rebellions or like, you can't get rid of it. Like, like how in the matrix, uh, agent Smith calls us a virus. So make it that we're virus. Like we always just pop up when you don't want us to. And so they try to like have to pull an antivirus to like defend against us. Well, no, but I mean, like, I, I mean, like writing a story from the premise of just like humanity is gone. Humanity was wiped out. Right. Um, oh, interesting. And, and then like, you know, you could you could have it, you know, the have it from the premise of like an alien species, like learning how to live on Earth without the presence of humans. And like, you know, this this hostile alien world that's different from anything they know, but they've wiped out all traces of humans, you know, and the people who understand the world. But they backed up all the YouTube videos. So they backed up all their data. So they have to watch how to do a world with YouTube. This, this makes me think of like I Am Legend, right? And I think it'll be an interesting plot twist. They only kept one or two, like a couple of folks just to sort of like show them around. 
right? And say, okay, what is the infrastructure in place? And if we're going off the fact that the aliens are advanced or, you know, they're, they're smarter than, than the human, then it's probably safe to assume that they would probably want to build upon the already existing infrastructure instead of starting all over. It depends on how advanced they are, but I kind of like where Emmanuel's going with this because his idea is basically all humans are gone. So you have to pull together information from like an archivist, an archivist standpoint, right? So like you'd have to archive like or pull data from like wreckage or like pull whatever was cloned at the time of invasion. Um, Because depending on the technology, though, I would think starting over would be easier, right? Because if you had, because right now we don't have replicator technology, right? But if you had a replicator or like um, industrial you know, 3D printers where you could 3D print infrastructure, 3D build anything you needed, 3D print. Why would you, why would you need to build stuff the way we build it? Right. I mean, you would still want, even if you were to start over, you want to, what's currently available to see what you want to keep or if you wouldn't want to keep anything. Well, are you talking about keeping it or keeping the raw resources? Because I think the raw resources would be valuable, the copper, the steel, the coal, you know, other raw material. But depending on their processes and whatnot, they could just grind it all over, you know, all up and pull everything out they need. Yeah, I mean, if it's an alien event stuff where they get to Earth and they wipe out humanity pretty quickly, like I think our infrastructure is not going to help them in any way, shape or form. Right. <laughs> so I think like they would essentially like rip everything out. And what like, like, what do you like? What do you think of the archivist idea, though? Like, a historian came to Earth because the Galactic Federation requires that any death of a species be archived. Yeah, I mean, that's an interesting premise. I think it would be <laughs> like, it would be like exploring world, exploring or, or like Earth is a ruins. Yeah. Um, you know, and like there are, there are um, colonies on Earth now, but like they've left the ruins of Earth, you know, because they've become, you know, national, national preserves. Yeah. Um, you know, where it's like they have to leave the ruins of humanity, you know. Uh, to, to, since humanity no longer exists, you know, for, um, you know, for preservation of, you know, what humans once were, um, I won't spoil anything for, um, Horizon Zero Dawn. You need to get through that game quickly so we can talk about it because. Uh, okay. So this is a side tangent that we might need to cut from the episode, but I like the beginning of the game, but it's just so much work to get through it. Uh, there's so many side quests and so much other stuff to do. Don't do the side quests, just do the story quests. Yeah, but you got to build all the stuff, and I don't know. It's just too much work. <laughs> like, I I, um, I kind of halted on playing through um, the sequel because it, it is a lot of time, and I and I do want to do the side quests, but it just it take, it take does take a lot of time. But yeah. if you power through the main story, like, you can get through it, like, in under 40 hours. That's still a lot of time. I could watch the cutscenes on youtube in like half the time i actually do that for the first game <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't i didn't plan to play the first game because i don't have the time and so but i wanted yeah. to know the story because i i was playing through the second game so i watched the story for the entire first game so that i could know you know this you know know where things left off at the start of the second uh, game and it, you yeah, know it was it was a good story oh yeah. so is that a question was mass effect did we did the humans get almost annihilated in mass effect so Mass Effect is a bit different. I was thinking about that earlier because Mass Effect, humanity's further along than we are now. So like Mass right. Effect takes place like, was like 200 years in the future? I don't remember. Uh, uh, let's see, Mass Effect timeline. Um, uh, side note. Can 2183. We 2183. So Mass Effect okay. 1 takes place in 2183. So like, you know, 100... Um, 
it's like over 160 years in the future. Yeah. You know? So humanity is already a space, a spacefaring species when they make first contact with the Torians and that, and that's the first war. So the Torians and the humans, when they first meet, they first conflict does not go well and they end up um, going to war with each other. And that led to like the first contact war, I forget what it was called, but um, you know, that's a key moment in the mass effect timeline, but humanity in that instance is already like a spacefaring species. So they're able to fight against the Turians. Mm. Um, you know, and I think they, you know, I forget who ends up winning. I don't know if it was the humans or if they came to a truce because of the, um, broader galactic, uh, uh, issues. <laughs> well, no, because of the, um, uh, like they were forced to do peace or something like that. Yeah. yeah the first contact war, which happens in 2157. So it was like 10, 10 to 15 years before mass effect one. Um, and it, uh, that's, they're introduced to the galactic community through that war. Thank you for listening. Check out our podcast on Spotify, Google Podcast, and Apple Podcasts if you enjoy the show. For more books and inspiring stories from today's authors, please subscribe to our podcast.